We are back to 1 Corinthians 15. I believe this is a fourth one, fourth message on that. And we have two more uh, coming. And it's been just wonderful to really taking time, lingering a while, and learning about eternal truth. It actually points to eternal reality because of the resurrection is central in, in all of that. Today, um, we are at the section that Paul actually makes a sharp turn from eschatological, the big picture and scope of the effects, radical effects, and brings down to our everyday life. So the title of today's message is Living in the Reality of the Resurrection. There are three uh, building blocks, or should I say the three truths about the resurrection that Paul has been expounding in 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians up until verse um, The first truth is this. The resurrection is central to the gospel. The cross of Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins is always well known. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But somehow uh, it becomes an addendum or kind of a little extra that People live it out, and we live out, when you think about the gospel of Christ, is the resurrection. Actually, resurrection is the validating work of God. Uh, resurrection is a complete picture of salvation. Without the resurrection, the atoning sacrifice will be nullified. And at the same time, the work of salvation Christ has done will come incomplete because uh, the death that happened to our our physical body will not be uh, restored without the resurrection. The second truth about the resurrection is resurrection is indispensable to our salvation. And this is the point that Paul is bringing up because of the concerns, because of the question that emerged out of the Corinthian church. Because, as you remember, uh, because of Greek philosophy's influence, they really didn't believe the life after death. And if if, uh, if, if you really hold on to Epicureanism, which is basically, this is it. There's much of a secular uh, world in, in our days in Southern California or just, you know, America in general believes that. that uh, obviously, you will pursue whatever is pleasurable, whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy at this moment. That will be the 
the mentality. And the other side is the Plato's, uh, Plato's influence, uh, which is a spirit is good, but physical body is unreal and incomplete, not good. So therefore, the resurrection was more of a spirit flowing around the spirit, the, the resurrection of not necessarily the body, but the spirit itself. And Paul is basically saying, without the bodily resurrection, our salvation is not complete. Without the resurrection, resurrection is not just an option, but indispensable. our salvation and he makes the connection between the Christ's resurrection and our resurrection and expounding on third point the resurrection is radical in its effects on us and beyond resurrection has the scope not just a we will be raised from the dead alongside of Jesus but this is the sovereign God's plan, a big picture of salvation. Beyond us. And last Sunday, I mentioned that this is hard for us. Because anything theological, doctrinal thing, seem a little bit aloof and detached. And, you know, man-centered the world. Man-centered world are asking questions about what about me and my needs? How is that relevant to me? That we will never get to see this full picture with a deep appreciation. But in general, let me urge you, our, our church's vision is about that we will continually become not only individually but corporately, communally, God-centered. What is God-centered looks like in terms of approaching this? That we must not start with men and his needs, but God and his glory. What does it look like? And then if we hang in there, it will make a full circle. Then the impact that we have is 10 times, 100 times more powerful so allow me just take another uh, minute to explain this so think about this when Christ died on the cross it, it is to defeat the sin the first enemy sin original sin total depravity and pervasive sinfulness reside on us reside on us it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how noble your intentions are. Unless that sin is not taken care of. Unless sin is, the sin within us is taken care of. There will be no full glorified body. And glorified eternal life. In other words, the Bible talks about mortal bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God because of sin in us. Right? And the first enemy is sin. And then uh, the sin and the evil source 
is the evil one. God, creating, God didn't create evil. Evil came out of the evil one, the, the Satan, the devil. The, the word devil, it means adversary, enemy. That's why we call him our enemy. Satan's word from the beginning with Eve and all throughout this generation with you and me and he and his demons, demons lure us to sin and give the, the, the wage of sin as death. So here are three enemies. Sin, Satan, and death. By Jesus' resurrection, all three are now defeated. Once for all now. In the future, taking our turn, Christ, the first fruit, the resurrection already happened. At his coming, the second time, the, all, those believers who are already dead uh, fall, fell asleep in Christ, in New Testament's language expression, they will be resurrected. And then the believers will be resurrected as well. Defeating those three enemies, sin, Satan, and death. And death is a final, last enemy Paul mentions in this chapter. Do you remember Philippians 2? Because of Jesus', uh, Jesus obedience to a point of the cross and to the point of death, he is highly exalted by God. And put him above, put his name above all names. That every shell, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That the Lord means the Lord of universe, King of kings. And God's kingdom is finally restored. The way that God created. And our body will be resurrected. And we will be in the presence of God and live eternal life in new, in new heavens and earth. And, and just imagine that the scope of it is incredible. So today, he suddenly takes a sharp turn and he argues more about if there is no resurrection, these will be the current impact. But I'm going to take that as a more of a, for our approach of application and receiving God's word the practically. So we're going to ask it this, this way. How does the reality of the resurrection, in other words, if we really believe the resurrection is coming. Allow me to say it one more, one more time. If it's really true, the resurrection of the dead, resurrection of believers are for certain. How will that impact our everyday life? 
So in your bulletin, I wrote, um, I mean, in, in your outline, note space, I, I said, uh, how should the reality of the resurrection impact our daily lives? But I think we should really say that if it is really, if you're receiving the reality of resurrection as it is, the question should be but more like, how does the reality of resurrection impact our daily lives? So stay sharp. This, this cuts deep for us. Even though it's a short passage and very weird passage, it, it is powerful. Number one, it impacts our, our daily lives to care about others' life after death, i.e. salvation, as well as ours. And verse 29 is one of the most perplexing verses in the Bible. Uh, weird Bible. and Notorious for Mormons' use. The Mormons took this Bible, the verse, out of the context and then made a big deal about they really do have a baptism in place of dead people. And they actually looked through the, their genealogy, you know, my grand-grand-grandfather, and I, I'm going to get baptized for that person so that he can be saved in that sense. Okay. Verse 29, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, are people baptized on their behalf? What does this mean? What does this first mean? I, I'm going to give you a short answer and long answer. Short answer is I don't know. <laughs> but what we know, uh, turning to the long answer, let me say this. Uh, this verse itself, Paul uses it as people and day. If he said, why do we baptize, get baptized on behalf of the dead, it will be a different story. But throughout the Bible, what's clear is that, he, look, for example, Hebrews 9, 27, and as, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. What is clear is that whether for yourself and for others, once death happens, the eternal destination uh, has been already made. So this is, by just looking at it, it sounds very unscriptural practice. Here's a long answer. Something that um, I, I think the I think I need to preface it, preface it, 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 it as a uh, your pastoral guidance for for all of us. Whenever we run into these kind of verses, one of the most important principles is the context. You look at not only that verse, like what Mormons did. Uh, you look at the surrounding verses and surrounding chapters, surrounding book, and surrounding 
New Testament surrounding Old Testament, the entire Bible. And then illumination of the Holy Spirit will come at least to the right directions. But this verse is quite complicated. There are so many opinions of the commentators. Some make sense and some doesn't make sense. Some sounds just pretty darn weird. Um, Let me give you a couple of things uh, as a background first. Historically, um, there is a track of record for Christians who have believed but didn't have a chance, opportunity to get baptized, water baptism, and died. But because of first century church, in a good way, I think this is a good point, believing in Jesus Christ is equated, and saving salvation is equated to being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it kind of reflects in Jesus' great commission as well. Jesus commanding us, go therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Of the... That whole phrase meant people are becoming Christ followers, meaning salvation happens, and teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. The discipleship happens follow. So what happened was, uh, throughout the history, there is a superstitious idea that one has to get baptized in order to ensure the salvation, ensure that he will be or she will be resurrected on the resurrection day. So people will, not for the unbelievers who die, but for the people who believed and died without the chance of getting baptized, they did get baptized for those believers who died. Was it biblical? Once again, Paul is not endorsing this. And Paul is actually using this to make a point. Um, and certainly, there are other point of view. Let me introduce one thing. that uh, If you look at Greek, when you, when you read on behalf, on behalf of, that could be translated as causal, causal effect, because of the dead. And there's some commentators, I think they're really well-meaning, and, but it just sound, doesn't sound just right. Because of their witness of the Christians who died, the way they peacefully die, or the way that they want to be with their longing to rejoin with their loved ones who who are Christians who died. And because of that, the unbelievers will get baptized. Does Does that make sense? That's one interpretation. So instead of on behalf of the dead that people are uh, getting baptized, but unbelievers who, because of the believers who died peacefully and victoriously and very radically counterculturally, 
because of that witness and impact, they will get baptized. Ah, I don't think so. I, I think just the, one of the principles that John Stott mentions of reading, understanding the Bible, read it naturally, adult giving, whatever that comes naturally should, should be following through. Instead of trying to make things happen, make things to say what we want to say, just because we are uncomfortable with that. Conclusion is this. We still don't know, but just because we don't really know what, what this practice is all about, and just one thing that I mentioned was the wrong practice was going on. Paul's point is clear. What's Paul's point? People do that because there is a resurrection. There's a subconscious level. They really believe that there is a resurrection. His point? If there is really resurrection of the dead, it impacts the way we think about our loved one's salvation as well as ours. At our man's group, this point came up as an application. We, we have that. The believers, believers, family, loved ones, they're stubborn people who are closed off to the gospel of Christ. And it looks impossible to us. But if we really believe there is a resurrection, there is a certainty of resurrection in the future, we have to care for them. Pray for them. God Almighty, who makes camel go through the eye of a needle? Which is impossible, right? I pray for my uncle. I pray for my dad. I pray for my sister. I pray for my brother. Have mercy. That's the resurrection impact on us in daily lives. Number two, it um, impacts our daily lives to endure hardship in living for Christ and the gospel. Verse 30, why are we? Did you notice that? It used to be they and people. Now Paul's talking about himself. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Do not misunderstand that phrase. Paul is not spiritually speaking, but I die to myself every day, denying myself. No, he's not saying that. He's saying he's experiencing close to death every day, physically, because of suffering and persecution. Verse 32, what do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. There's a, a little bit of difficulty in, the, in this verse as well, because Paul says, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. In the first century, because of persecution, as you've probably seen some movies, there was... Uh, cruel entertainment 
by watching Christians fight and basically eaten by lion and, and bears and in, in the Colosseum, in, in the in Ephesus, that practice was going on as well. Is Paul talking about it? We still we don't know clearly. There is a legend of that. But Paul doesn't mention any other letters specifically. And another thing is Paul is a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens are not included in that kind of cruel execution, including cross, including the uh, eaten by fighting fighting the beast or even gladiator in that kind of setting. So some most scholars will say this might be what's happened what's happened to him at Ephesus. He was he almost died because of the mob coming. Let me explain what happened. Second Corinthians one, eight to through ten, Paul confesses and shares about this particular experience. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. The Asia in New Testament language is modern Turkey. Um, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. But that was to make us rely on not, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a dead, deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Oh, this is so beautiful. He's applying what he just preached in here. What, what happened in Ephesus? Ephesus is known for a city of their goddess, the goddess of Artemis. In Roman equivalent term is Diana. The Artemis was so huge in that whole region, people visited just to, to pay respect and just to look at grandeur of their temple. And then economically, it was also, has a ramification. The one of the huge revenue for the city of Ephesus was making idol, the little kind of uh, Barbie doll size Artemis. You could take it home and you could worship kind of thing. But because Paul came, the gospel was preached so powerfully. And Paul started the school to train the disciples for two years. What happened? People stopped buying any idols anymore. And who was upset? Those people who are in the idol business, making business, right? They rose in the name of Artemis. Great is the Artemis of Ephesus. That's their city pride as well. And the mob rose with them 
and got Paul and Paul's friends in the theater, and they're almost just coming at him. And Paul's friends and disciples took him away, and Paul was trying to get into the theater. And that was the scene in the book of Acts. He barely survived through that. So one um, interpretation of this piece is that allegorical meaning of that persecution and people were so vicious to, to kill him. And Paul had to leave. And going back to our text, what does that supposed to mean? The reality of resurrection impacts us to endure hardship for Christ and the gospel. But we, we feel a little distant because or maybe missionaries and maybe, maybe even pastors who really preach the gospel who will face some persecutions. So let's put it this way. The reality of resurrection will impact each one of us to decide what to live for. If the resurrection is real, you will not live for yourself. You will not live for the temporary things like money. You will live for Christ who, 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 who saved you from eternal damnation, who will raise you on the judgment day. And the good news of Christ, which is the gospel. So we're faced again with this challenge in this, in, the, in this passage. What am I living for? I say in one hand, I live in resurrection. Christ is my Savior and Lord. I, I, I love Him. But in my conscience everyday life, all I think about is my own pleasure, my own family, my own happiness, my own promotion, my own business. Something is definitely wrong here. Somehow, consumer-oriented Christianity and the churches and the pastors are responsible for that too. May that okay. May that normal. So typically, the Christians go to church and kind of pay the due one, and one hour, one and a half hour. If it's churches like us, about two hours. Um, and then, what can I eat? What, what would be good lunch option? Italian? Chinese? Pho? Vietnamese? Or Korean? You know, or Mexican? You could think about anything else. And Oh, what's on, what's on TV? What's really good? What is the latest gadget that I could buy? How can I send my school and my kids to the best school around here? That could be the preoccupation and self-absorption. And the challenge and call is that Paul is saying, I suffer for Christ. And actually, this is my glory because I know for certain that resurrection will be there and that Christ will be 
waiting for me with crowns. And those who were lazy servants, what will we hear? Who are we pleasing? Lest you think that legalistically, externalism, oh, I'm going to start doing X, Y, and Z. I think the internal, inwards transformation have to, have to happen first. Okay, think about this. What we believe about the future in our faith must result in our action today. So in between, I think some of you need to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You are my master. You are my God. You are my savior. Your most treasured joy. Although I'm not feeling that, but I acknowledge that because it is really true. Change me. Change my heart. Third and last point, its impact on our, our day, daily lives is to pursue holiness and God-honoring vigilance in all we do. Look at verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. As it, is, as it is right. And do not go on sinning, for, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to sure your shame. Oh, this, this is really sharp. So Paul is basically saying, uh, I forgot to mention, he already brought one coat, right? If there is no resurrection, we might as well well eat and drink, tomorrow we die. You know that slogan was a typical Epicureanism slogan. The first century, those people who seek pleasure as an aim of life. We don't really have to know about Epicureanism that much. What is the rule in Southern California? Same thing. How can, how can I use the word make my life happy, my family happy? American dream became that. In order for us to be happier, we need a bigger house, bigger car. We need a bigger account, saving account. This goes on and on, right? And he takes another slogan, this time the Greek philosophy, not Greek philosophy, but poetry. There is a quotation that he uses, bad company ruins good morals. 
that's been out there, and he's taking that as, you know, if you really hang out with people who are incongruent in their faith and belief, and they live whatever they pleases, you're going to be corrupted. You're going you're gonna to just lead to the, the wrong way. And it's very simple for us as well. If we really listen to the people who are just self-absorbed and, and the people are very materialistic, and if we really listen to the even prosperity gospel preachers, we become consumed to do that. And Paul's warning for us is, Wake up. You're spiritually asleep. Oh. Can I, can I share this? Um, sometime in the later, I'm going to, in another message, I'm going to elaborate on this so that I don't get misunderstood. The reason why we don't really experience third world countries, spiritual warfare, demonic things, and everyday witchcraft, and all those things, and even in uh, where it brought, you know, Wade and Helen and Boy and Cindy are there, they experience it all the time. The reason why we don't have much of it is not because the demons are not existing, they're not at work. I believe. Their tactic for Southern California, America in general, is putting in this kind of spiritual air, apathy, just take it easy, enjoy your life, don't get too stressed about future in terms of spiritual things. Then everybody sleep spiritually. I'm preaching to myself, brothers and sisters, whom I really dearly love. Jesus is real. The resurrection is for certain that we are to wake up from our spiritual sleep as well as in, from drunken stupor. Kesera mentality of living life. But pursue holiness and vigilance. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. This is Apostle Paul's language, Peter's language now. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he, he who calls you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So summarizing this, I'm not talking about acting like a holier-than-thou person, but having a spiritual vigilance, God-honoring vigilance, that we are spiritually wide awake in how we live our lives today matters. Turn away from internet stuff that tempts you, men, and also women, but in the, not only the materialistic things, but the rampant, sex, over-sexualized things, not to mention straight porn, 
but other things also do. I hate to mention this because there is a polarization happen, right? So anyone who is speaking against the culture these days is a Bible thumper, judgmental people. They, they don't know what to really love, but they just hate everything. No, in, in the name of God who is holy, I am calling you to lead a holy life is crucial for Christ followers. It matters. You will answer in judgment seat. In our marriages, in our parenting, we are to be holy, honoring God. Not whatever it comes easy for me. At our work, we are to be people of integrity. People whom anybody can put their trust in because of, just because of lordship of Jesus Christ within our hearts. So three, three things that present impact of reality of resurrection. Very simple, isn't it? We care for other's salvation as well as others, as well as our own. Because the life of the, after death is real. Resurrection is real. And number two, the impact of reality of resurrection should lead us, point us to what to live for. We're not living for selfish reasons. We're not living for just the surrounding our own happiness. We are to volunteer to suffer for what matters, for Christ. Oh, this, this means that uh, some of us you know, the outreach team got together and they're thinking about starting a, some t- tangible project. I could tell you, if you don't have this spirit, what am I looking for? That's too difficult for our entire church have have kids and life season and you lack sleep. Oh, forget it. That's nonsense. Going to Going to East Asia, visit Boy and Cindy together? Oh. I go to France. I go to Italy for that kind of thing. Uh, you, you know, exploring, uh, adventure thing. But, oh, I heard about the bathroom, the smell. And, and lastly, the re- impact should be on our holy Spiritually vigilant, God-honoring life. I'm going to close with something a little more uh, personal in my, my, my life. Um, I didn't have a wonderful, powerful week. I had a very depressing week. I was down on myself, and the evil one was whispering about self-doubts. And I felt really insecure about a lot of different things. And, and as I'm getting older, the things that I used to be very confident about, I realize I don't have that. 
I mean, to start with, I, I was known for a healthy kid. I, they, people say, my family said, you could eat rocks and just digest, right? <laughs> when, when I was sleeping, they could kick literally, and I would not wake up. But these days, I have all these health problems and, you know, wake up in the middle of the night two, three times and, and trying to get healthy. The discipline itself is very hard. And a lot of other things that I'm worried about, parenting and kids and being available and being a good pastor, just goes on and on and on. The spiritual battle is on. The enemy knows what we are weak at, right? But if we pay attention to the risen Savior and really believe and meditate on, do I really believe this or am I acting like it? Our, our beliefs about the future will result in the life change today. My life is not fixed. Don't get me wrong. But by the grace of God, I have a better posture than Tuesday. Monday night and Tuesday. It's a crazy day today. And Soren's having a you know, debut in his mini concert his band he actually has a band I can't believe <laughs> but it, it's a, we, we need to coordinate that with home group and I'm not sure we could make it up by on time and all those things are going on but the song comes back to me in, your, in, my, in my head maybe you guys have that in your hands because he believes I can faith he lives I can tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives and my prayer for all of our Crossway Church members our family members will hold on to this the reality of resurrection and face today and tomorrow. Not just Brian and Hyojung who will face the uh, surgery tomorrow early morning. Not just Malu who will go through another second uh, opinion about whether she needs to have a surgery. Not just other family members in our church who needs healing but every single one of us, even internally. Let's face today and tomorrow. Trusting that our risen Savior watches over us and waits to raise us up on the resurrection day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage in Apostle Paul who gives this call and challenge where we are. And we pray, the Holy Spirit, that you will continue on your work of nudging and whatever is spoken from the
scripture and from the work of the Spirit, Father, you will place them on our hearts. Linger for long in this week and transform us and change our, our action in present life, everyday life. We pray for comfort in the meantime and your encouragement and tap us on our shoulders that you care so deeply for us that you desire the best things for us. Lord, you are good. Our confession is that you are worthy of our trust and praise. So we give you glory and honor and we pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.